The Start On Demand. On demand. Today, Wednesday, November 24th, 2021, is the 30th anniversary of the first Grey Cup in Winnipeg. So today we had a really cool conversation with Matt Dunnigan, who was the quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts in that game. And Clay Young tells an amazing story of how and when he met John Candy. Mayor Brian Bowman joined us today. We talked about the homeless and bus shelters, as well as sidewalk clearing. And we had a blast talking about grocery store pet peeves that was kicked off with a conversation on the grocery cart itself. And things got so out of hand, Greg and I didn't know what to do with ourselves while Loren was under attack. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, November 24th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today. And today's a special day. I can't believe, G-Mac, that it has been 30 years since somebody hucked a frozen beer at the Heisman winner Rocket Ismail. <laughs> yeah, 30 years ago today, Winnipeg hosted its very first ever Grey Cup, 1991. If you need us to do the math for you, we are more than happy to do that. Toronto Argonauts, Calgary Stampeders come to town, and the cavalcade that was the ownership group of the Argonauts, Loren. You'll remember Bruce McNall, Wayne Gretzky, and of course... The late, great John Candy, who absolutely adored himself to Winnipeggers that entire week. Appearances at Alicia's, uh, the pierogi, the famous pierogi spot in the North End that uh, unfortunately doesn't exist any longer. But uh, yes, this week, that game is of legend and lore, and we're going to celebrate the memories that are the 1991 Grey Cup throughout the morning. Now, were you there? I was. I was living in Calgary at the time, but I came home for the week, and it was a week to remember, um, even though I don't remember a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's pretend it's because it's been three decades and not because anything that may have been going down that Yes, let's go with that. 30 years is a long time to look back, but I love that we're doing this today with a couple great stories that we're going to bring to our listeners because we're getting prepped for the final western final for our blue bombers on what will be a december a first for the cfl and a cold day too a cold week potentially and we're not afraid we need to embrace this so let's embrace these stories as we look back and then hopefully use them to look ahead to next week where we will have uh, an equal amount of fun hopefully no beer throwing is that fair no beer throwing allowed in fact um i am i'm trying to reach out to someone i have reached out to someone who's wrote, written a book about this week and i uh, haven't secured him for the program this morning but we do have matt dunnigan joining us he was the quarterback of note and he was the starting quarterback for for the Argonauts that game. He had no business playing in that game. He'd broken his collarbone earlier in the season. In fact, that week he showed up in Winnipeg, his arm in a sling following uh, the dismantling of the Blue Bombers in Toronto the week previous in the Eastern final. Uh, but 
Uh, ironically enough, Matt Dunnigan would win the Grey Cup here in Winnipeg in 1991 and then about six months later sign on to become a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for three seasons. So Matt Dunnigan, one of our favorite guests. And Clay Young will join us at 9.35. He met John Candy and has an incredible story about his interaction with the former SCTV star, uh, Uncle Buck and all the different ah. films that he starred in over the years. Uh, Clay, as most of us know, can tell a story like no other, and we'll we'll drag him in here near the end of our program to do just that. Also, I just I- watched Uncle Buck, sorry, the other day. I queued it up for the kids because I thought maybe they'd like it. It's a bit too mature for them right now, so they headed downstairs after 10 minutes. But man. Really? Yeah, they love the kids in it. It's just that, you know, there's a lot of scenes of, of the older daughter looking for, you know, she's dallying in, in things with boys. And, you know, mm. they just they need a couple more years, I think. I mean, they liked it, but they weren't into it. I was like, yes, do it, John Candy. You're so great in this. I've only seen that movie once. Mm. I need to revisit that. I've Watch seen it gi- again. The Giant Pancake. Yes. I see. I don't even remember that. I've seen planes, trains, and automobiles multiple times. I've seen Home Alone probably a hundred times, but Uncle Buck, no, just once. So I should probably check that one out again. Also, Loren mentioned uh, 30 years is a long time to look back, and that's what I get for trying to remember something, a trivia nugget off the top of my head. Rocket Ismail did not win the Heisman Trophy. He was the runner-up. He was wronged. forgot about that. Who won the... Heisman Trophy then. Uh, Brigham Young University quarterback Ty Detmer. Oh, Ty Detmer can take a long walk off a short (laughs) pier. (laughs) So I haven't even looked at the text line yet. I'm sure that someone has corrected me, but I thought I better double check that Heisman thing. So lots, we're going to have lots of fun discussing that today. And Loren mentioned the Western final coming up December 5th. We have tickets to give away for that. So at 645, we're going to have a conversation, Greg, about grocery store pet peeves. Thanks to uh, Jay Richardson, who posted on the, the Power 97 Instagram yesterday, just uh, asked a general question. Very simple, Loren. Are you the type of person that returns the cart to its rightful place at the grocery store? And so <laughs> I, I like that question overall, but it is spurring and creating a larger discussion about the things that perturb you at the grocery store. Yeah, the things that you might see around you from customers or maybe even things that the stores themselves do. Parking lot shenanigans, you know, uh, the excitement I had yesterday at a large grocery store where I was just trying to run in and run out quickly because I needed something. And uh, I got a pull through, you know, where you get in the parking lot and then you pull into the spot and then the spot in front of you is open. And I'm like, oh, yeah, pull through. (laughs) Like I was unreasonably excited about it. So, you know. Uh, it could be good. It could be bad. The ugly, the the grocery store shenanigans and pet peeves that uh, drive you crazy. We begin this segment with an important question: Do you put the shopping cart away? <laughs> When you go grocery shopping. <laughs> yes. This is all sparked uh, by our friends down the hall at Power 97. Yesterday afternoon, Jay Richardson was asking the question, yes or no, are you the kind of person who puts the shopping carts away no matter what? And that that was asked on the Instagram account at Power 97, and, and they had some great stories and some colors. So uh, we wanted to carry that conversation over this morning. So, Jay, if you're up and listening this morning, thank you very much for this. Now, before we get into the full topic here, let's just take a quick poll uh, on whether or not we put the carts back. Loren, do you put the grocery cart back? 
most of the time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean most? <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, I, there might be a scenario, I suppose, if I'm in a huge rush. There's no scenario. No, yeah. <laughs> it literally just, takes, you, it just, takes I, you 20 seconds. I think, I think that you're hiding away. something here, Lorraine. I, just, I, think it's, just, I think it's a lot of times. No, it's really not. I'm just trying to be honest and saying that I think I do it all the time or most of the time. But I think, it'd be, no, it'd be a lie to say all the time. I'm sure there has been a time where I have not put it back. Okay? Jeff Forte. Oh, I'm worked I'm... up. I'm worked up. The... You know how many, I, I came out, this was like a month ago. I come out of Sobeys and there was a shopping cart touching my car. I was furious. If I saw who did that. Oh, there'd be there'd be some words. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I I take it then if we ask you the question, do you put the cart back? The answer is yes. Oh, every time. And Cam, every I, time. same th- same oh, for you. I will I will battle hordes of people to get it. I, it doesn't matter what situation it is. It could be minus fifty. It the, the wind could be blowing at uh, two hundred kilometers an hour. <laughs> I will put that cart back in its cart spot or whatever. <laughs> I'll put it back. It doesn't matter what it is. Jeff Ron. Absolutely. I'm not a monster like Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'm furthermore, just, I will never, go around the... No, there's never been a scenario where any of you have never, never put the cart back. That never, is a lie. ever, ever. You're a dirty liar. I'm not a liar. Furthermore, well, is. I'll often go around the parking lot and pick up some of those loose carts and put them back, too, oh, just so people don't have Same to deal here. with them in their cars. It is the, one of the most selfish things you can do. It's, like, so careless. You don't care about anyone else if you le- leave your cart and say, oh, it's somebody else's problem. It's like those people at the fast food places that will just leave their food on the table and just walk out. Like, no, you take it to, and throw it out. Like, we're living in a society, people. If you're a brain surgeon who's suddenly been called to emergency brain surgery, then maybe. Even then, like, holler out to somebody and say, hey, I got to go perform brain surgery. Would you mind putting my card away for me? Wow. The passion. I am shocked, and I love it. Well done. Well done, everybody. So, okay, that got us thinking about our our favorite grocery store pet peeves. (laughs) We've got tickets for the CFL's Western Final to give away December 5th. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. What are your grocery store pet peeves? Uh, Jets commentary, by the way, coming up at 6.55. But, uh, okay, so clearly the grocery store... Cart is the big pet peeve for wow. Cam Forte, Jeff Braun as well. Loren, what is your pet peeve? <laughs> <laughs> Those two. Yes. Um, the listen, I get that they want you to have the loony quarter toony situation so that you put the cart back because we're all cheap and we all want to get that loony toony quarter or whatever the grocery store is charging. But I don't have cash on me anymore. And so it just drives me nuts because if I'm going into a place, I'm usually looking to shop in the amount of wanting to have a cart filled. And yesterday was an example. I didn't have any change, couldn't get a cart. So I just grabbed one of those little baskets. And then I'm that idiot going around with that basket like six feet high trying to drag it through the store because I didn't have any money for the cart. So that's my pet peeve. I get why they do it so that people like Forche don't, you know, have an aneurysm in the parking lot. But I, I, that drives me nuts every time I pull in. And then you go up to them and they make you buy that. Like, I, which, I can't remember which store it is, but yeah, yeah, we can give you a thing to put into the cart. It's $2. You give it to us, and then in this little keychain thing, and it stays in your keychain, and you'll always have it. Well, guess what? I have three of those come and gone. They lose the little token that helps you get the cart. That's my pet peeve. 
Good point. I'm actually surprised to hear that some grocery stores have gone back to that uh, because I know that I think they did. They all stop that at the beginning of the pandemic uh, when they were most places were like basically forcing you to use a shopping cart in the store as part. Of, that's how they kind of did their headcount. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, so Safeway used to have the quarter uh, thing at the uh, intersection of Henderson and Chief Pegwas Trail, and I think you're right. I don't. I don't think they have it any longer. Uh, Loren, you do have an ally listening this morning, and Loren, oh. um, on behalf of uh, Ruth, I'm asking uh, the gentlemen uh, who are so adamant that they put the cart back every single time. That would be uh, Jeff, Cam, and uh, Jeff. Ask the guys who always put the cart away how often they are shopping with children in tow doesn't matter put them in the car and then br- oh, put your cart back. bring them with you okay what a ridiculous excuse <laughs> i have children i can't do it these are the people that par- that that fill up nobody can drive when when go i had to drop my kid off right next to the door like these are the same people like give me a break what are you teaching these children by not putting your yes. away, too? I mean, my yes, God, you're was... raising a new generation of monsters. Let's beat up on the listener. Wow. Okay. Well, it's crazy. Honestly, I'm, I can't, I'm speechless right now. For the three men who don't have children to now decide that they're the gods of parenting is... Wow, perplexing. Taking, taking a, taking oh, a come few on. I'll teach you a few things about kids. Seconds, a few short seconds to put the card away is not like because I have children doesn't mean I, I can't complete that task. I, I just don't see it. It's not po- it's just not possible. We got 75 seconds. Greg, let's get you in here. <laughs> I just wanted to pull the pin and get that conversation going again. I'm not interested in sharing anything with these three involved. I'm going to get all sorts of flack about whatever I come up with. But I guess my biggest one would be the people who don't take the time to find the cheapest cheese. You know, when it's on for $4.99, it's randomly priced and then they put it on special. Why aren't you on your hands and knees finding the least, the, the you know, the, the biggest one, the best value uh, I, I find is... That I that I'm on my own on that one, and I'm quite fine with it. Like the like the the best value. What do you mean the biggest one? Like where is okay. it a different grammage? Exactly. So you know you get your block of uh, Lorenz's favorite, the marble cheese, and uh, you know all the. So blocks. you're buying like the no name cheese? No, no, no. That's four ninety nine, right? Four ninety nine. Yeah. Here's the special, but they've been weighed out and they're priced per gram. You got to find the biggest one, the best value. The one at regular price. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry if I haven't, if I've confused you with the, the way. No, I no. I just, that. I was like, because I'm familiar with that cheese, but that's like that. If you're thinking of the same cheese, that's not very good cheese. There's a reason why it's the cheapest cheese. Oh. Because it's about to go bad, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not no. <laughs> me. There are a lot of things to love. About winter, Loren and I, you know, I look forward to my winter walks. Um, I enjoy just yesterday outside, they had chopped up some of the ice that's outside our building here, and I was just kind of crunching on it. So, I mean, hey, there's a lot of of fun stuff to enjoy about winter. 
for sure, even just the smell of a fire in winter seems to be better or, you know, a skating or tobogganing. Like there's a lot of things on the list. And for thousands of Manitobans, of course, snowmobiling is one of the things that they love. Hours after that snowfall hit two weeks ago, I couldn't believe it. I saw two guys out on snowmobiles and I thought, man, they're really not wasting any time getting out there because some years we don't have that snow. But we need to talk a bit about safety this morning because within two weeks of this first snowfall and then that second one we've had, we've also tragically had two fatalities. And of course, our thoughts, Greg, are with their families of these two men that died over the past couple of days. Absolutely, Loren. A 48-year-old from the RM of St. Clement's died after rolling a snowmobile last week. And a 57-year-old Portage La Prairie man was killed when the sled he was riding hit a row of trees and branches in a field in that community, speed is believed to be a factor in both. Yvonne Rideout is the executive director of Snowman Manitoba and joins us now to talk more about snowmobile safety as we kick off the winter season. Good morning, Yvonne. Good morning. These are obviously uh, difficult situations for the families involved, but the entire snowmobiling community overall. Uh, yes, uh, Snowman offers its sincere condolences to the families of the two uh, the two gentlemen. Obviously, we're just at the beginning of the season. So, what are your thoughts as we consider uh, these two snowmobile related fatalities within a matter uh, of days? For those that don't snowmobile, does this does this speak to the overall safety of this activity of this love affair some people have? Well, we do always. Uh, tout the line that the best place to ride is on groomed trails. Uh, so far, there's no trails open in the province uh, other than Birdseal Park. Uh, so we do uh, ask people to stay on the groomed trails and respect landowners and stay on the designated trails. There's over 12,000 kilometers in the province. So once those trails are open, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you would have for snowmobilers? Uh, to stay on the trails and to ride within your ability. Uh, also, we promote our online snowmobile safety course. Uh, speed is a factor in a lot of cases uh, where there are incidents on the trail system. And we ask everybody to ride within their ability and uh, to check on their speed and not be going too fast. Let's talk about, you've used that phrase a couple of times, Yvonne, and it's a good one, ride within your ability. And, and I like snowmobiling. Like we don't have one in our home, but with friends or family offer a ride or like, a, I like getting out there. I think it's a great fun if it's done right, but I wouldn't want to be necessarily in the driver's seat all the time because I don't have that strong ability. And it's a big, big machine that can do a lot of things. So what do you mean by that? What, like, how does one know um, when they're pushing their limits? Well, you know, you know, if you haven't, if you don't know that you can stop when you need to stop, if you see something coming or if there's stop sign coming up or a caution, you need to be driving at a speed that you can safely stop. These machines have become so powerful, so fast over the years. The technology is incredible. And I, like Loren, love the machines and, and enjoy being on one. Uh, but are they simply just are they simply too fast uh, for some folks, Yvonne? It may, it may be, and you can you can buy a machine that uh, that works for you. If you go to a dealership and tell them you're a new rider, they can recommend the machine that would uh, would suit your ability. And as far as like, I I've never been on a snowmobile, so if I wanted to go somewhere to learn it, or is are there any courses I can take? Like, what how do I get into it? 
<clears throat> there are courses through Safety Services Manitoba, however, due to, and they go out to schools and so on. Uh, however, due to COVID-19, they're currently not offering them. I know that we did offer a course uh, in the western area of the province where we did contract Safety Services Manitoba and offered a course to youth. You know, the same way we we, ha- we often have to have these conversations repeatedly. We talk about, you know, swimming safety at the start of the summer, Yvonne. We'll talk about boating safety. And, and within that boating conversation, I think much like snowmobiling, one of these fatalities this year, RCMP have said speed was a, a factor, but they've also indicated alcohol might have been as well. So I think we need to always address the alcohol component when it comes to this activity. Yes, and Snowman has posters that we have up in our shelters saying zero tolerance for impairment on the on the trails, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Yvonne Rideout is the Executive Director of Snowman Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Yvonne, thank you very much for this. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, indeed, just the... And this, this, uh, this poor person who hit a row of trees... And branches in the field, the fifty-seven-year-old man. That's uh, that's a scary thing to think about. Drive, riding a snowmobile, powerful machine, as you pointed out, Greg. I mean, I think anybody who's r- rode a bike mm-hmm. has hit something. Like if you're if you go on a, go on a trail that you may be not familiar with, even just hitting a tree root sticking out of it can cause all kinds of stuff. And that's on a bicycle. Never mind uh, a big machine like that, Greg. Oh, yeah, and I've been in some scary situations, maybe skiing in situations, downhill skiing, uh, where I shouldn't be. I can remember being a panorama, uh, dancing through the trees, as my buddy Al would say. And then, you know, you you fall and you go, man, oh, man, what am I doing in here? Right. What am I doing? That's the point that she's making, right? You stick to the trails that you know that are groomed, but also just the biggest point is the ability. Mm. I think we all push our limits, and to get yourself, in, whether it's on a snowmobile or the ski trail, I've been there too, Greg. You get on the hill and you think, I am not qualified to be on the triple black diamond. Like, what am I doing up here? And that's a dumb move. And so it, maybe it starts with that kind of uh, check before you get yourself in that situation. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are asking you uh, a whole bunch of stuff this morning, including grocery store pet peeves. And, um, well, Greg, you've got one here about grocery carts. Yeah, one of our listeners says, my best cart story, I was at one of the malls. As I came out, I saw a van parked next to me. A mom and her three teenage kids were getting ready to go. One of the kids went to put the cart away, quote, end quote, directly behind my car, touching my bumper. Sound familiar, Jeff? The timing was right, as they say. Still had the doors open. I took the cart and put it behind their van and casually said to the one who had done the deed, I just put the cart where it belongs. As I drove off, I had a feeling of schadenfreude. Thank you, Lisa Simpson, for teaching me that word. Because the mom was yelling at the kid that she told him to put the cart away properly. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Kids, that's what kids are, their job is, is to put the card away. I do like the text from a listener who said, I want to know where you guys shop just to see lids fly when I unleash all the carts to be free to travel the land. It's not right to lock them up like that. Free range children, free range shopping carts. And uh, as far as the 1991 Great Cup, 30th anniversary of the first ever Great Cup held in Winnipeg, Perry saying, yes, I was there, was sitting near the tunnel when John Candy and company made 
made their entrance onto the field. This moment is stamped in my memory bank. Candy had a big fur coat on, big smile to remember seeing him. So at 9.35, Clay Young is going to tell us a story about how he met John Candy that night. And at 8.35, Matt Dunnigan is going to join us live on 680 CJOB. Winnipeg Jets are in Columbus tonight to face the Blue Jackets. It's going to be a homecoming of sorts for Jet Ford Pierre-Luc Dubois. His first visit to play the team, which drafted him third overall in 2016. Our coverage gets underway at 4 o'clock this afternoon with the Curtis Carpets pregame show. And Leah Hextall joins us now to take a look at the Jets, who have just one point in their last three games. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. How is everyone today? And what I'm, kind of animal doesn't put their grocery cart? There we go. Don't do me up. I didn't say I didn't. I just said I couldn't say for sure that I do it all the time. I'm no animal. Man, I was about to compliment you too, and now I just feel like I need to take this in oh, another direction. So sorry. <laughs> so, no, yeah, it was, it was a big night for you Monday, Rogers Hometown Hockey Broadcast. How special was it for you to call an NHL game in your own province, Leah? Uh, it, it really, Loren, it meant the world, and it was a bit of a pinch-hitting situation. There was an illness, non-COVID-19 related, to the play-by-play that was supposed to call the game, so it wasn't actually on my schedule, and I got a phone call Saturday night saying, hey, are you in Winnipeg? And I said, I actually just happened to be, and they said, can you call on Monday? And I kind of had a beat because I thought, can I get myself there and get ready for it? But I, you don't say no to calling the Winnipeg Jets in your home province when you're a Manitoba girl, and especially against the Penguins. Um, which is the team that my cousin Ron is the general manager of. So it was completely special. It was a beautiful night with Hockey Fights Cancer. I just thought that Josh Morrissey and the way he spoke about his dad was just stunning and just the tribute on the ice. And, you know, there we go, over a million dollars that they've raised through that initiative to Cancer Care Manitoba. No better thing. Thanks for uh, for sharing that with us, Leah, and congratulations. And uh, we love having you on our program every other week. So the Jets are struggling a bit at the moment. Their penalty kill continues to struggle at critical times. And now so is the power play. Now, a long time uh, key on the power play is, of course, Blake Wheeler. What do you say about the criticism of the play of, 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 team, of the team captain? And is he hurting or helping the duo of... Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois, who he's been playing with uh, most lately. So the first thing I'm going to say about Blake Wheeler is he had COVID. And I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't mind saying I had COVID. I know what it feels like. It absolutely takes you down. I felt like I was hit by a truck. And I couldn't, even after I started to feel better, it took weeks for me to get my energy back. And I'm not trying to play in the National Hockey League. Am I? I'm sitting on my couch talking to you fools. So, you know, what I can say is that with Blake Wheeler, it's going to take him a little bit to get going here. He's probably still suffering from the effects of COVID. And that's not an excuse because, you know, the fact is it's just a reality and it's going to take him a bit. I know that he's still looking for his first goal. But what I can tell you from calling that game on Monday is you notice players that you hit their numbers quite a bit. And there was many times within the neutral zone where it was the captain that I was saying, number 26, that was wheeling that puck with the takeaways and bringing it into the jet zone on five on five. You know, the thing about Blake Wheeler is that I spoke to Paul Maurice about him that morning. And I said, you know, how do you look at his role now? Because COVID aside, we have to understand, and I've spoke about this before on Hexbomb Hockey, the captain's role is going to have to change. He's 35 years of age. We're going to have to see him perhaps play less minutes, shorter shifts, etc. I said that to Paul. 
he looked at me and said, well, his shifts aren't changing, the amount of them, the length is not changing. If anything, I'm adding to his role and putting him on the penalty kill. So from the Jets' standpoint, he's not hurting anything, and he is still the player that makes sure that everybody is pulling in the same direction. So I think there needs to be a little bit of grace with the captain because I bet you any money he's still feeling it in his body physically from having COVID-19. Did you call us fools, by the way? I did. You know, you know, I'm I'm a little I'm a little sassy this morning. I don't know what's gotten into me on this Wednesday morning. Man, Leah, you're killing me apparently. I know. Um, I think I just meant that to Greg. I think it was just to Greg. Oh, you guys. I don't think it was to Brett and Lauren. It's okay. I, I'll wear that with a badge of honor. Um, before we let you go, Leah, uh, Monday night, perhaps a turning point of the game. What many people say was a, a phantom high sticking called on Andrew Cop. <laughs> Penguins score the eventual game-winning goal just as the penalty expires. Should there be another mechanism to ensure calls like this don't get called? Well, first of all, it was a legit call. I'm just, I'm just, I know people aren't going to agree with me. It's rule 621 in the rule book for high stick. And what it is is a player, you know, puts their stick up too high and makes contact. And if you go back like I did and watch that six to seven times, you see Andrew Kopp get it up on John Marino, number six for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I can hear you sighing, boy, but I'm telling you, it's the rule. And there you go from there. So I'm just saying it for some people, they might go, well, that's a weak high stick, but it's a high stick. And this was a game that only had two power plays on each side. It was a very low penalty game. And at the end of the day, a penalty is supposed to be a penalty. And we're always wanting the rest to call by the book. So I get it. I get it. But there's no way to get around this. It's a penalty. I'm texting you right now. Hextall. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Hextall, thank you very much for joining us this morning, and congrats once again, once again on getting the call on, um, on this past Monday night. Great job. Take good care, all. Mr. Mayor Brian Bowman joins us live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right, sir. We're doing all right. And we know you were happy with a couple of things that you heard in the two throne speeches yesterday, uh, specifically promises concerning housing for homeless. So we wanted to start there yeah. uh, because for the second year in a row, we're hearing more from our listeners about homeless in the bus shelters. And like I, I yeah. walk home through downtown. I live in Osborne Village. I haven't gone out with a clipboard and done an audit of, so I won't say all of them, but I mean, many of these shelters we see this happening. So how do we balance yep. the need to find shelter for people who are sleeping there with the fact that people who use transit also need to have space to wait for the bus, especially with the cold weather setting in? Yeah, and I appreciate the question because, I mean, the transit shelters are, are not designed to be homes. And uh, they're, they're, especially when you're in the winter weather, I mean, they, they're temporary reprieve. They're, they're heated to provide kind of that temporary reprieve but they're not heated like like a home they're not designed for uh for permanent accommodations they're there for for you to wait for the bus uh which is which is temporary in nature and so you know what what i was uh what i appreciated hearing um from the premier through the speech from the throne as well as her announcement last week um with respect to uh, a new shelter um on disraeli is really just that that acknowledgement and, and greater engagement on the file. Um, you know, healthcare, social services, housing, these are matters of provincial jurisdiction. We have a role to play, and we are increasingly stepping up and, and trying to provide that support. But hearing that they're going to be taking a whole-of-government approach uh, on top of the, the investments that the Premier acknowledged is a start, 
it is encouraging within a few weeks of, of her uh, taking, uh, taking office. Some issues require that collaborative approach, uh, Mr. Mayor, and others are really more best handled by the, the government in question. So we're going to shift now to just talk about snow clearing and sidewalks. You know this has been a big conversation in the past couple of weeks. Winter just arrived. It's getting colder yeah. out there. We had a listener come on uh, a couple of weeks ago and just say, look, like they're in a wheelchair. They can't get out. They're, they're housebound trapped in their homes when we don't clear sidewalks effectively. Technically, they're given the same priority system or considered P1s. Some of the sidewalks, rather, are considered P1s along with some of the roads. But is it time to review that priority system if we're not going to treat them the same? Or can we throw more cash at these sidewalks? Well, for for starters, our snow clearing policy drives the snow clearing efforts, not the budget. And so it's one of the one of the few things in our in our budget that we don't have a like a, a snow clearing dollar limit when there's a snowfall, and so we don't say okay, spend two million dollars and then stop. It's actually driven by policy, and and then we we have to deal with the financial consequences after the fact. And so your question though about is it time to review the policy? There, there's ongoing review, and I, I expect you know with respect to the most recent snowfall, as always. There will be scrutiny uh, at the committee. Uh, we have a public works committee, and I expect that there will be some dialogue with the public service about uh, how this particular snow event was dealt with and, and whether or not the policy was met. I think Winnipegers have high expectations for snow clearing. We are a winter city, and we accept that as a council, and that scrutiny is something that's shared by members of council and myself. Yeah, there's no way uh, Polo Park Mall, as an example, would allow its walkways and parking lots to get to the point that the city allows. And I don't think anybody anticipates or expects that the city can clear the streets and sidewalks to that level, Mr. Mayor. But there does seem to be a shortfall in terms of the service provided in a lot of people's view, including one of our listeners who asked us to ask this question on his behalf. And he says, what is the city's excuse for not sanding the ice-covered streets? And I tie this into sidewalks as well, Mr. Mayor, because I, like thousands of other Winnipegers, my front street is my sidewalk, and it is a horrible mess right now. Yeah, I mean, definitely with uh, with the freeze and, and thaw that we've had more recently, the ice is pr- it's pretty bad. And, and so we know that. Um, again, you know, salting or sanding is, is something I'll leave it to our, our engineers that, that manage whether or not sand or salt is appropriate. Our, our focus is also just getting the snow off, off the sidewalks, especially on those P1s where we did make policy changes recently as a council to better align the P1 street clearing, which is, is something that cities across Canada look to as, as one of the leaders. But we wanted to make sure that the, the sidewalks for those P1s, uh, obviously areas around transit stops are, are prioritized. And so that's the policy. You can expect to hear more dialogue on this and more scrutiny from members of council and myself. And, and we'll, we'll always be open to seeing how we can make improvements. That's something, that's why we have the snow clearing uh, website. So if you go to winnipeg.ca, you can see regular updates throughout the day, uh, especially during snowfalls to see where the snow clearing efforts are at. And that's part of our open government initiative, and it's done so that people can get the info, but also they can scrutinize the policy, and we can have these discussions as a community about where we can make improvements. Yeah, and I check that map regularly, and we had looked at it, and, you know, at the end of the day, after that first snow event, the the sidewalks were at, I think, 50% on the P1s, and the the roads were at 100%. And one of our listeners texted in, 
uh, Mr. Mayor, to ask about equipment. So I understand there's a dollar thing here that you can't control. You might have a $2 million snow removal year or a $15 million snow removal year, depending on how yeah. much snow falls. But there is an equipment issue we can address. And the, one of the listeners who, who has done work for the city said there's just not enough sidewalk clearing equipment. So is that can that be reviewed or addressed ahead of time, putting the cash question aside for how much snow we might get in a year? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair a fair question and and a fair public policy discussion. You you can expect to hear more of that because you're right, Lauren. Um, you know the the equipment is we've got a lot of equipment. We held a press conference, uh, you know, when that that first snowfall happened to talk about the equipment that was out there and being deployed. Um, but you're right in terms of you know do we have enough equipment? That's something you know we'll we'll have some further dialogue and discussion with our public service on. And, and like I said, there. We have a public works committee where I think you can expect, given the, the interest and the concerns that are being raised by by the residents that we serve as a council, uh, to be raised. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live for our monthly chat. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Two snowmobile fatalities in the last week. Winter's just here, so we were talking with snowmen after 7, and that prompted Joanne to text in and say, hey... I think snowmobiles are capable of going way too fast. I have been driving on a highway 100 kilometers per hour and have had snowmobiles pass me while driving in the ditch. Joanne says, are you kidding me? And Greg, you had referenced that point in our off-air chat about the fact that, hang on, you know, these machines can go fast. It's great if you know how to use them, but they don't have the same protective measures of a car. There's no airbags, doors, front, you know, I mean, if you hit something at that speed, you're in serious trouble. You are walking a fine line or racing a fine line. Uh, I don't think 150 kilometers per hour is out of reach for a lot of these snow machines. You're certainly not using those machines on the on the approved uh, pathways uh, at that speed uh, because that's simply not allowed. So you, you are really uh, running some risks here. Look, I, I'm not out to admonish anyone that enjoys that sport. I have lots of friends who love it. They invest a lot of money. They're very good drivers. I just, I'm horrified when I hear some of the stories of how fast they run. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's really dancing with danger. It's dancing with death. You can weigh in at 204-780-6868, as you have as well on the conversation we just had with Mayor Brian Bowman before Global News at 8 o'clock. And one of the things we asked him about, Greg, was sidewalk clearing. Yes, and a listener says this, we live in an epic cold weather winter city. We should have snow clearing that sets the standard. Is, is, is that too broad a statement? Is that something that we should aspire to? I think I've mentioned this, uh, it's been a while since I mentioned this, but Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. They declare their intention in several places. Typically, it's in their washrooms. They have these posters. And their intention is to be the best airport in the world. They make no bones about it. Should we be intent on setting a standard or not with regard to snow clearing? Is the current all-powerful policy sufficient? Loren, we heard Mayor Bowman reference it. Is it time that it gets changed? Well, is it time to review it and say, like, look, we're either going to call sidewalks priorities the same way we call some roads priorities and treat them equally or admit that we can't treat them equally. Uh, and, and the admission, I don't think, is what anyone wants. So do we put more dollars into this? Is it more equipment? He admitted that they're reviewing and constantly reviewing. But let's get to it. I think the thing is, is that we like to be proud of our city in winter. Brett, right? Like, I mean, like when people say winter peg, peg it's kind of the thing that you embrace and say, like, we're good at it. We're good at handling winter. And so we should be good at the things that come with that 
like clearing snow, like sanding, like salting. 204-780-6868, your thoughts on that. Also, it's the 30th anniversary of the first ever Grey Cup in Winnipeg, and uh, we have a listener here who wishes to remain anonymous, GMAC, uh, pertaining to something that happened that Very night. Very trustworthy listener, though, and uh, so I believe this story to be 100% true. I will have to have pierogies at some point today. I met John Candy at Alicia's restaurant, a very approachable person. I went over to him, explained that after the movie Uncle Uncle Buck came out, that became one of my nicknames with friends, and he was quite amused by that. I asked if I could get his autograph, and he said, sure. I then pulled out a $2 bill, and John signed it to Uncle Buck. Many thanks, John Candy's. To me, it represents when two bucks met. I just got that. I was reading along and I was like, is his name Buck? But the buck, the dollar. Uh, I know, by the way, John Candy paid for my meal that day. Boy, do I owe him. And uh, by the way, uh, Hal will welcome the author, uh, Paul Woods. Uh, He'll join him this morning. I mentioned this uh, individual, Paul Woods, earlier. We were trying to get him on our show. Well, he was already booked for Hal's show. The book is Year of the Rocket. And, of course, that year was... 1991, and uh, 30 years ago today, the Rocket was a part of one of the most epic plays in Canadian football history. Two years ago today, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won their first Grey Cup since 1990, but 30 years ago today... On an incredibly cold day after an incredible week in Winnipeg and Canadian sports history culminated with the first ever Grey Cup game in our city. That's right, Brett. November 24th, 1991, Winnipeg Stadium, Stampeders versus Argonauts. Here's the legendary, the late Don Whitman with the call of one of the most memorable plays, not only from that game, but you could argue in CFL history. The Rocket looks for a hole. He gets to the outside this time. He's gone. Goodbye. The rocket delivers. The million-dollar man provides cause for celebration among the Toronto Argonaut owners. An 87-yard kickoff return. Lots to unpack from that play. But the reason it's so legendary is near the end of that play, a partially frozen can of beer lands near the feet of Rocket Ismail as he crosses the 10-yard line, only in Winnipeg. The Argos, led by quarterback Matt Dunnigan, claim the most iconic ever Canadian football championship, uh, and I'm saying that without question. Matt Dunnigan joins us now. Thanks for doing this, Matt. Oh, my pleasure, y'all. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we love yeah, having... I, I, it's come to this, right? <laughs> yeah, later, here we are. Yeah, it's come to this. Fair enough. I just wanted to say, Matt, the questions are short today because we love hearing what you have to say, so forgive us for that. Uh, we're just going to jump right. into it. Just how good was the rocket? Yeah, it's freakish. You know, it was um, a special ball player. Uh, I, I believe the... Either the fastest, if not the second fastest player I've ever played with, Marcus Grant was 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 right there with Rocket as far as speed goes. A receiver I had down in Birmingham, Alabama, but uh, yeah, Rocket was special. I mean, he would limo out to our practice the first time, straight off a private jet, flying into Toronto, 
does a couple toe touches and runs a four two nine forty. You know, it's like who does that after being cramped in a plane and a freaking limo all day? Does a couple toe touches and busts a four two nine. You know, it was just special speed, and uh, he and he was beyond his years as far as maturity goes. Um, he he handled all the press, I think, uh, first class and um, without hesitation, and allowed. Uh, a boatload of just special players in the Toronto Argonauts from that team in 91 just to go out there and play football fast and free without any worries and dealing with any type of media pressures whatsoever because Raghav was doing that for us. It was just amazing. Minus 16 at opening kickoff, but there was wind that day, so we know it was a lot colder than that, Matt. Have you ever played in weather like that in your career? Like, just describe it to us what you had to do to stay warm or warm-ish in the game. Yeah, well, y'all are- Y'all are doing the same thing right now. You know, what does it say? It's minus, it feels like minus 21 out or something like that now. It's like, just go take your garbage out, you know, or whatever to the side of the curb, your blue boxes, and put it out there and, uh, you know, in, uh, in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, you know, and tell me how you feel. You know, it's just and, – and, and to have to go out there and execute in the most important game of, of your career at the time and the most important game of the season is – it's it's a tough ask, you know, and the only way to get through it mentally is knowing that they're doing it, we got to do it, let's go make this happen. But I was I was cheating because I was filled with Zylocaine, Marcaine, and a syringe of adrenaline a couple of times before in halftime, before the game at halftime, and so it was like an out-of-body experience I was having. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced before and don't want to do it again for sure. Yeah, that uh, I mean, that season was full of injuries for you personally, including a broken yeah. collarbone. Your arm was in a sling when you arrived in Winnipeg for that game. So, like, I've always wondered, you know, you just re- listed off a cocktail of uh, of <laughs> things to help you get through that. But I guess yeah. maybe how did you feel after the game? No, it was, it was, it was the thawing that just, you know, destroyed you for the next month and a half is just – uh, it was it was not good, you know, but it was one of those things. Ask anybody who's been in a Grey Cup and the sacrifices physically, mentally, family-wise, it, it just adds up. And, you know, people say it's just a game. It's not. You know, it's, it's a way of life. And, uh, you know, from top to bottom, from support staff to families to players to it, – it's a, it's a sacrifice. And believe me, everybody was sacrificing that day on both sides of the football field, Calgary and Toronto, and it's just – Unfortunately, only only one team gets to walk away with it, and uh, yeah, it was it, it was ultimate sacrifice and team. We were loaded with all star players. It was almost like cheating, you know. My job was just keep it on the rails. Ricky Foggy did a hell of a job with me that year because uh, I was hurt. I only got and played eight eight games, you know, that season. And uh, Fog Dog was doing the rest and with a team that was just loaded with talent, like I said, and we f- found a way to get it done that special day. So on the outside, yeah. Matt, so much was made of the ownership group with Bruce McNall, Wayne Gretzky, John Candy. We've shared a couple of great John Candy stories already this morning. But yeah. what impact outside the money spent on players did that group, did that ownership group have on your, on your player yeah. group? Well, they provided us with an experience that we'll never have again. You'll never see in Canada again, I don't think, in the CFL. Uh, it was it was just a euphoric opportunity and uh, and setting that they created, uh, and and it started with Bruce McNall's pocketbook and it and and uh, 
throw in, you know, Wayne Gretzky's notoriety and connections and John Candy's passion for the game of and and his love of the Toronto Argonauts and the CFL, uh, it was it was just a special environment that these three created with their uh, own tools that they brought to the table and uh, it was it was like what what is going on here? People wanted some of what we had and uh you didn't experience that very often. You know, people superstars from all over the world were coming in, and they were in our locker room. And uh, it was like, okay, uh, something's different here. And it definitely was, you know, because I grew up in an environment, um, you know, where Dwayne Mendruziak in Edmonton, you know, the iconic equipment manager was unceremoniously let go, you know, a, a year back by the Edmonton organization. Dwayne, I mean, he ran the ship. He was the heart and soul of that organization, and you, we're begging for a pair of socks, let alone getting money and, and things and goods and people staying in the locker room. It was a diff, completely different environment I grew up in and experienced other than that one year in Toronto, and that was because of McNall, Candy, and Gretzky and how they treated us and the environment that they created, the hype that they created for it, and it was just incredible. It was like Hollywood came to Toronto and uh, injected – us with a shot in the arm of nothing but enthusiasm, big time people, and good times. Oh my God, it was just one story after another. Well, I've often wondered how often ownership, like the owners of any organization, are in the locker room talking to players. So are you are you saying like that Bruce and Wayne and John would be chatting with you folk on the regular basis, or was it just once in a while you'd see them? No, 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 no. They're 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 living this with us. You know, more so John than Bruce and Wayne. Um, but yeah, it was like we go out after a win at home, and John would shut the place down, and uh, we'd go till we couldn't go no more. You know, it was it was that type of relationship. It wasn't uh, hands off. It was all hands on deck. And John Candy was gracious to give us his time, and uh, and part of himself anytime. It was, and it doesn't matter who. He was there. He was like, just call him, and and he'd come running. And uh, we didn't have to because he was always with us. It was just an amazing experience. And uh, it was one story after another. Um, They were so caring, and uh, they looked after the people that were hands-on. You know, it's not like all of a sudden during Grey Cup week, all of a sudden all these people started showing up that you've never seen before. It was, no, these people have been with you every step of the way, and uh, and – experienced the ups and downs the pain of defeat and um it, they were they were special it was a special year you it was like nothing that's why we're talking about it 30 freaking years later when we have when we have get-togethers and on zoom calls you know we've celebrated this recently as a group and you know we had like 38 people show up on a zoom call you know from 30 years ago that that just doesn't happen that shows you the type of bond and the type of people that we had in that football team. It was just an incredible group of guys that came together because of the ownership group that we had. Matt, we've got to let you run here, but we would okay. be remiss We would be remiss if we didn't ask you this question. You know, you go through okay. what you do in 91. You're still thawing out from that experience 30 years That's later, right. yet you decide about six, seven months later that Winnipeg is where you want to play football and three years yeah. in our city and the relationship we had with you as fans and vice versa. Just, you know, give us the 30-second elevator plug for Matt Dunnigan's love affair with Winnipeg. Yeah, well, it was it was it was give and take, you know, and it was and it was shared emotions and passion on both sides. I think I fit really well with the mindset 
of the Bomber football base and the fans there and the people of Winnipeg. I felt like I was a perfect fit. My only regret in my 14-year career was leaving there in 95, but I had told Cal prior to, you know, if we don't get something done, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check things out south of the border. And uh, unfortunately, I went down there, and a year and a half later, my career was over with. I think I stayed in Winnipeg. I played on 40. But uh, I tell you, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this real quick, y'all, bear with me, but uh, Bob Irving, you know, 47 years, stepping aside as the voice of the Bombers, just an icon and uh, a mainstay across the Canadian Football League. And I'm honored and privileged to have had three years of his legacy and with the greatest of all time and Bob Irving. And uh, I'm just humbled to have been a small part of his his run. And uh, to him and Day, I just uh, I wish you all the best. I know December 5th is the last kick of the can, and uh, I was just happy to be a, par- a part of it for a short period of time. And Godspeed to uh, today. And like I said to her on a video that I sent in for a little special get-together, I just told I told Bob and I told Day, I said, Day, he's all yours now. Good luck with that, you know. And uh, so, so, hey, it was lovely. And, uh, yeah, I love coming back to Winnipeg. I still do a charity golf tournament there with Peter Janakis uh, from the Pony Corral. And, and um, raise funds for local charities there and the Deborah Foundation and, you know, trying to get that thing, keep that thing going so we can continue to have a relationship with that great city. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate whenever you take time with us. I know I speak on behalf of thousands of Winnipeggers. We love you right back. Hey, love you all, man. Appreciate it. Anytime, okay? Matt Dunnigan joining us live on 680 CJOB. He was there on the field in 1991, 30 years ago today, when the first ever Grey Cup game was held in Winnipeg. The first ever game, not the first ever Grey Cup game, period, obviously. The first one that was held in Winnipeg was 30 years ago today. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we do have those tickets for the tenors to give away. Promise, we'll give them away at the end of this segment. And then in our next segment, we have tickets for the CFL's Western Final based on your text messages on grocery store pet peeves. Could be anything. Other people's behavior. You don't like a particular parking lot. The way that they put big fancy displays of potato chips everywhere to try to tempt you from breaking your diet. Whatever. Ellen says, my pet peeve when grocery shopping is finding a perishable item like a package of fresh meat on like an empty Tim's cup or a package of frozen peas. Last thing I found. Yeah, like just placed on a shelf where it doesn't belong. I always pick it up and take it to the cashier. And Ellen says, what kind of person does that? Drives me nuts. Sorry, Ellen. <laughs> I don't leave my Tim's cup because a a you can't drink a, a tea in the in the grocery store right now. But no, I wouldn't do that. But yeah, if I grab something that I didn't really want and I find something else instead or change my mind, I don't always take it back. Not oh! like meat or chicken or something. Like you're not like putting a roast on the shelf oh, I'm not with, a, like the Captain Jack cereal. I'm not an animal. No. If if it's oh a perishable item, that's the qualification. Yeah, I'll take it back. Yeah. Non-perishable items though, they they go where I decide to put them. Oh, come on. Sorry. How dare you? Hmm? Okay. I got it. We got to bring this I back. Dare. I'm the animal because I said maybe once in my lifetime I haven't put the cart back, and now you're just oh, dropping. Oh, now it's maybe once. Just dropping stuff. Uh. I said I couldn't 100% say I've never done it. I'm just saying, Forche, why aren't you weighing in here on this guy? 
Greg, what the hell's wrong with you? There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Nah, I don't even think he's really that mad at me. He's not committed to this. this I think Jeff's fair. done that. <laughs> if you missed it, by the way, at 648, you got to go to the audio vault at cjob.com. The conversation went off the rails in a very unexpected way. Producer Jeff Forte got... I've never seen you so fired up about anything, Mr. Forte. But yeah, I agree, Loren. Um, Greg, put your stuff back. Come on. You're, a, you're an able-bodied man. You can walk to back to the I'm aisle. A, and I'm going to drive the- my cart into the store and leave it where Greg leaves his things he doesn't want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I didn't say I didn't send my kids back to do it. When, oh. I'm, on, when, my, when I'm on my own, uh, definitely, you know, if I decide the cereal is not exactly what I wanted, I confess. I will I will put it amongst the, the soup cans. I'm sorry. As uh, one of our former program directors used to say, Kevin the Lizard Wallace, no excuses. But we do want to ask you a couple of questions. Here, want to continue the conversation on snowmobiles, Loren. We talked about, been talking this morning a lot about snowmobile safety in the wake of two recent fatalities in Manitoba. Yeah, and it's just a conversation because, of course, we're kicking off the snowmobile season. And so, as you had said an hour ago, Greg, not an attack on on snowmobiles or snowmobilers. Because not in any way. I want. I want, thank you for making that clear. Sorry, yeah. Loren. No, you Be- and I both enjoy it and have in the past, and we have friends who love it, right? Correct, correct. So yes, uh, I want to make that clear. I, I hope it didn't come across that way. It's it's out of an abundance of of concern because of the number of fatalities and injuries we see in our province. This it, there's no denying it's a dangerous activity. So this is the question we wanted to ask, and I'm trying to figure out if this would make more sense. Is there just more we could do on the on the on the front of the season, at the start of the season, when it comes to either those safety courses? or even licensing, you know, what is the actual requirement for someone before they purchase a snowmobile or, or at least get on a snowmobile when it comes to a license that they may or may not need to have. And so I'm reading on uh, snowriderswest.com that in Manitoba, everyone who operates a snowmobile on a designated snowman trail, they, they have to register the snowmobile with MPI, they have to purchase a snowpass, wear a safety-approved helmet, and they have to be at least 16 years of age and hold a Valor's valid driver's license to cross the road. But for, is, I, if I'm reading this right, there's no special license that you have to take to have a snowmobile. I know that there is a pleasure craft operator card that you have to have when you own a boat and you do have to take some sort of, I think it's an online safety course, but there might be people that argue that's not enough either. And so I'm just throwing it out there. What are the requirements? And maybe some more could be done. I mean, it's a pretty powerful machine. That helmet's not going to protect you if you're going 100 plus kilometers per hour and you slam into really anything or roll it or what have you. I mean, it might provide some protection, but not enough. And so are there more things we could do just to, to figure out a way to help people start the season more safely. That's what I'm throwing out there. Well, you have to have a separate license for a motorcycle versus driving a car. That's a specified license. And I think part of that is because of A, how susceptible you are, B, how fast those machines can go if you're on the right one or the wrong one. And uh, the safety maneuvers and the things you need to do on a motorcycle are different than, than those in a vehicle. You have to keep other things in mind. Maybe it is time for you to have an operator's license for ATVs, for snowmobilers. I know people don't like the idea of more hoops to go through, but if we keep seeing people dying like this in an activity that uh, so many people clearly enjoy, I mean, they have their own specialized license plate. That speaks to the 
popularity of this activity to this sport, if you can call it that, it, it maybe it's time. But I'd love to hear from those on the snowmobile. We had one uh, text message from someone who admitted they used to love to go fast on their snowmobile. They crashed that snowmobile. They were in a hospital for a long time. They admit to missing their snowmobile every single winter. They just can't bring themselves to get back on. Absolute avalanche of text messages this morning on grocery store pet peeves. And thank you to all who weighed in. Western final tickets up for grabs here. Once again, as always, almost impossible to pick a winner. So we'll read a couple of runners up, starting with this one who says... Cart goes back, because the, the whole thing that started this was, do you put your grocery cart back or not? Jay Richardson from Power 97 was asking this question yesterday. That got us thinking about overall pet peeves. And uh, this listener says, the cart goes back only if the store has sufficient cart corrals. So that's good, uh, because sometimes the, the cart corral in the middle of the parking lot is a mess. And uh, But they go on to say their pet peeve. Packing my own groceries while trying to watch the prices are scanned right and sometimes they don't work so then you get sneered at by the customer who's waiting because you're not packing quickly enough. Grocery shopping shouldn't be so stressful. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Or like the people behind you, someone texted to say that they hate when the person in front of them isn't prepared with their right method of payment. Sure. Sure. It comes up and you've been standing there for 17 minutes waiting. And why don't you have that card ready? But I feel like the grocery store line is where I hear just a whole host of... Lots of sign going yeah. on. Just a no lot question. Of, everyone's just everyone's in a rush. Like it's just it drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, Greg Collin sends us great stories all the time. Uh, another runner up here from Colin. Biggest grocery store pet peeve from Colin is this. May sound silly, but my first job ever was working in a produce department at a grocery store. One of my biggest issues was when people would go and rip bananas off bunches to make the bunch smaller to buy. There were options of the bunch's number they wanted throughout the whole display, but it was always that one particular bunch that was a must-have, I suppose. Being 15, we always did paper, rock, scissors to see who would get stuck removing and having to bag all the singles to see at a discount because no one ever bought them. I always picked rock, so I spent the maturity of time bagging these up. (laughs) Colin says, I hate bananas. (laughs) I say Bart Simpson, good old rock good old dependable uh, <laughs> rock nothing ever beats rock but uh loren johnny is our winner i read this begrudgingly because what i had said was that i cannot say huh? for certain mm-hmm. that i always put the cart back although in recent memory like years going back i can't recall not doing it but i don't want to be a liar and say i always do it for those who use the this always, explanation keeps getting longer this and is, longer. i just can't handle it people who say i always do that that's not you can't be 100 percent certain johnny fine good morning to the start war battlefield wow <laughs> such a heated topic this morning my pet peeve is the cart itself when there are no baskets available and i must use a shopping cart this is my demise for going in for milk and fruit fresh fruit then coming out with a full shopping cart of groceries and loren we always went shopping as a family with small kids and the cart was always put back, regardless of the weather. Mark another one for the three guys in Portage. Please don't delete me from the CGOB family, says Johnny. Johnny, you're out. <laughs> but we're giving you some tickets. <laughs> Before we let you're you go. You're out of my family. You're Part out of my family. It's a parting prize. Johnny wins the tickets for the Western Final. So this morning... We have been reminiscing 
about a football game which was played 30 years ago today at the old Winnipeg Stadium, the 1991 Grey Cup. Yeah, and it's been a memorable recall for so many reasons because, of course, it was cold. There was the rocket. There was the largest crowd to ever watch a sporting event in Winnipeg history at play and the Grey Cup open the door for the market to host for every market to host the game and of course the ownership group of the team which eventually won the game Toronto is what so many people were talking about when they came here because of course the owner at the time the owners Los Angeles Kings Bruce McNall superstar hockey player Wayne Gretzky and the man who probably made the strongest connection with Winnipeg that week Greg is the late great John Candy yeah we shared one story uh, about John Candy and the connection he made with one of our loyal listeners Candy was everywhere it seemed he was out and about with the people that week and to this day stories of Candy's visit still resonate with Winnipeggers our next guest is the host of the Weekend Wake-Up Show on CGOB. He is reporter extraordinaire. He has been a fixture on radio and television in this province for over 30 years. And can he ever tell a story? In this case, a John Candy story. We say good morning to the Clay man himself. Hello, Clay Young. You're too kind. You're well, too kind. I'm you, blushing. You've never said that to me before, so <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was going for. Hey, before we get to your brush with greatness, tell us about that week in Winnipeg from your point of view. Well, it was, uh, it was the, the excitement, even though it was cold, uh, was just everywhere. I mean, everywhere you went, uh, nightclubs, for example, they were packed. It was like even on a, like a Tuesday. I remember uh, we did a story and we went to the old Marble Club. Remember that? And uh, you would see Pinball Clemens sitting there signing autographs. This is crazy. So I was, uh, I was quite young then. I was a reporter uh, at CKY, which is now CTV, and I walked in one day during Grey Cup week. So I said to my assignment editor, so what do you got for me today? He says, Candy, John Candy is going to be speaking at the convention center uh, today at noon. He's doing a lunch hour Everybody and anybody is going to be there. Uh, we'd like you to try to do a one-on-one interview. Now, I thought, oh, great. Because um, Candy had done multiple interviews, usually in, in scrum-type situations, you know, with a whole bunch of reporters. So I go there with uh, my camera operator, and we're, we're standing on the aisle, and he does a great speech, and he's got everybody rolling in the aisles, you know, and... Uh, he's finished, and now he's coming down. He's going, hey, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. Good to see you. So, and, and he's big guy. <laughs> he's a big guy. And I'm sort of starstruck, and I just jump in front of him, and I go, hey, John. Hey, hey, hi. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with CTV. Uh, I didn't say CKY. You may not even know. CTV. I'm with CTV, John. Just a quick interview. Uh, with you on how you think Winnipeg has done so far this week, you know, hosting the Grey Cup. And I can see his eyes kind of roll like, oh, God, here we go again. And he goes, yeah, sure, sure. So I ask him what he's been asked a million times, but I I did have a little trick up my sleeve. Um, Clay, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah. Okay, because I've pulled some audio here. For those who never saw SCTV, John Candy, a big part of that ensemble cast. Here is John Candy as one of his most iconic characters. And now a fireside chat with Mayor Tommy Shanks, who tonight talks about the state of the economy. Hello. 
How are you tonight? I'm a little tired myself. That's my own fault. I, I was working all day. Okay, so that, that <laughs> just just so people are remind them of the character uh, that is Tommy Shanks. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I. Um... I ask him how Winnipeg's been hosting, and he gives the usual stuff. Ah, it's been great. It's been fantastic. You know, everywhere you go, people are so friendly. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, then I, I just stop I, when he finishes answering the, the question. I just, I just pretend like there's an earpiece in, in my ear, and I go, excuse me, uh, hang on there. Hang on one second. One sec. I'm just getting word. Okay, okay, good, good. Uh, I'm with uh, Mayor Tommy Shanks. Mayor, I'm just getting word. Mellonville has just been awarded next year's Grey Cup. Um, Need your reaction. We're live, Mayor. And he looks (laughs) down at me. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) But he immediately goes into character. Immediately. And he goes, well, I'll tell you, you it's going to be tough for for Mellonville here. The Mellonville Maroons. Uh, we hope we'll represent uh, the Eastern Conference next year. And he pretended like he had a pipe, and he just does the whole shtick. And then when he was done, I looked and I said, thank you so much, man. And he goes, that was good. <laughs> I said, thank you. And I go, gee, Sean, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, he was just the best. You, you just, everything you saw about him was, was, was legit. So I'm curious, Clay, like you do this interview with him. It's not necessarily the interview I'm guessing your bosses were asking for. They wanted, no, you know, in terms of like, it. and that ran in full like that on air. Yes, they loved That's amazing. It. I, I love it. I just threw him a bit of a curve <laughs> and he picked it up and he ran with it. That's so, it's that so entertaining, but also what's neat about that is how it shows you how quick he was, right? In terms yeah. of seconds later, just turning it on. Yeah, well, the uh, the master of improv, he just all of a sudden, he just, his facial expression instantly changed, and he went into it. And I was just thrilled that, you know, he followed my lead. I just sort of said, Mayor Tommy Shanks, with us now, you've just been in <laughs> Mellonville, breaking news. <laughs> he just went with it. It was it was just a wonderful. I'll never forget that. Do you still have this on tape? Somewhere? I've been looking and bugging my buddy over at CKY. I'm looking for it. Is that the voice you use? <laughs> well, that's the voice he uses at me because I've been pestering about him all the time. <laughs> so anyway. when you look back on that time and that interaction with Candy, did it did it set the stage for you to act differently with other you know people that? maybe others might be starstruck with did it did it did it set the table for you to be at ease around other stars that came to town so to speak Clay? i think it i think it did actually and uh mr mcgarry will remember this uh my first go around here i actually interviewed william shatner face to face and i, I you know once that's I right was, face yes to face. yes at the hotel fort gary and when I sat down with him, it was like, oh, my God, it's Captain Kirk himself. I'm looking right at him. It was one-on-one, and I sort of learned something from Candy. I mean, you know, these people put their pants on the same way I do, and I started joking around with Shatner after a while. So, yeah, that experience with Candy helped me out a lot. Well, Clayman, 
This has been great to hear this. I had no idea that you had no. this encounter with John Candy. Never mind the fact that you had the, the the brain power to actually keep it together and then go into that routine. Yeah. That's genius, man. Well, I thought about it. I thought, okay, he's been asked this a million times. What can I throw him? A, I got to throw him a curve and see how he reacts. And it was... I couldn't have asked for anything better, the way he responded. Were you nervous approaching him with that? Uh, not. I was nervous that he was going to say, I don't have time, right? <laughs> I, I, I've done a million of these interviews, and I'll hold a news conference, and all, you can all ask, but I could tell he was going, ah, goodness, I'm trying to get out of here. But he, he was... He said, yeah, okay, sure, go ahead. And that's when I threw him the Tommy Shank, which he seemed quite delighted with. That was good, man. Did you think about this ahead of time in any way, shape, or form, or is that on the spot? I thought about, uh, I thought about it ahead of time because I thought, okay, I'm not going to turn this into just another one of these interviews. Great being in Winnipeg, and we're having a wonderful time here, and you people have been great. <laughs> I thought I'd do something a little different. Well, can I just say from one of our listeners, Clay, not only does this world need more John Candy, it also needs more Clay Man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.